0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehelys Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight...
2: Mali has been under military rule since an August 2020 coup. The government denies working with Russian mercenaries, but human rights groups and journalists have documented several alleged human rights abuses committed by them since reports of their arrival in the country.
1: That's Annie Reisenberg reporting from Bamako Mali. Details coming up also. A siege by al-Shabaab militants in Somalia ends after more than seven hours. Cyclone Freddy is headed for southern Africa after killing four people in Madagascar. And U.S. First Lady Jill Biden has arrived in Namibia. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The U.N. peacekeeping mission in Mali, Minusma, says a roadside bomb has killed three peacekeepers and seriously injured five others. Annie Reisenberg reports from Bamako,
2: Mali. Minusma said in a statement that the U.N. peacekeepers were killed in central Mali Tuesday when their vehicle hit an improvised explosive device. The statement says that Minusma is one of the most dangerous peace operations for peacekeepers, with 168 peacekeepers killed in hostile acts since the establishment of the mission in 2013. Mali and the greater Sahel region have been battling an Islamist insurgency since 2012, when Islamists took over the north of the country. The French army intervened in 2013 to help Mali take back control of the north, but withdrew from the country last year due to concerns about Mali's military government working with Russian Wagner Group mercenaries. Mali has been under military rule since an August 2020 coup. The government denies working with Russian mercenaries, but human rights groups and journalists have documented several alleged human rights abuses committed by them since reports of their arrival in the country. The military government expelled Minusma's spokesperson last year after Ivorian soldiers arriving as support for a UN contingent in Mali were arrested at Bamako's airport. The director of the mission's human rights division was expelled this month. Violence has continued to plague the Sahel in recent years. 51 burkina Faso soldiers were killed last week in Burkina Faso's north in a suspected Islamist attack. A police officer and a civilian were killed on Monday in an IED attack in western Mali. No group has claimed responsibility for Tuesday's attack on the U.N. peacekeepers. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali.
1: Dr. Jill Biden, the First Lady of the United States, arrived a short time ago in Windhoek, in Namibia, the first stop on a five-day Africa tour. At the State House, she met briefly with President Hagi Gongob, who told reporters he felt the visit was a big honor. Biden also visited Heroes Acre, the monument to the fallen in Namibia's independent struggle with Namibian First Lady Monica Gingob. We'll be talking to Pearl Matibi on the line when we get in touch with her. A joint naval exercise involving South Africa, Russia and China is underway amid concerns Russia will test what it calls a game-changing weapon. South Africa is hosting the exercise of the east coast cities of Durban and Richards Bay. The government describes it as a routine, despite criticism at home and abroad. Darren Taylor reports.
3: Russian state news agency TASS says one of the Kremlin's warships is carrying its latest superweapon, a hypersonic cruise missile called the Zircon. According to the Russian military, the missile cannot be detected by radar because it travels at more than five times the speed of sound. President Vladimir Putin has called the Zircon unstoppable, claiming its range is more than 1,000 kilometers or 620 miles. TASS reported the frigate would hold a training launch this week without mentioning the Zircon, but South Africa's Defense Department denied there'd be a missile launch. The exercise coincides with the one-year anniversary of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine on Friday. Western governments are concerned Russia's using the event as propaganda to showcase its military strength. The African National Congress, the ANC government, points to similar exercises it's held with other countries as evidence of the normalcy of its cooperation with Moscow. Maritime expert at South Africa's Institute for Security Studies, Tim Walker, says it's not a fair comparison.
4: Russia is a belligerent state. It is currently engaged in an international armed conflict. The previous exercises with France and the United States were not held
3: under those kind of conditions. This is a a situation... South Africa says it maintains a neutral stance on the Ukraine conflict. It abstained from voting last year on a UN resolution condemning Russia. China and the former Soviet Union supported the ANC's struggle against apartheid, providing it with money, weapons and military training. Walker says cooperating with Russia militarily right now is clearly not acceptable to South Africa's biggest trade partner, the European Union. Participating in this kind of exercise sends the wrong signal about what South
4: Africa's policy intentions are. It actually sends very confusing messages, especially given the fact that previously it has been very prepared and has benefited from exercises with a whole range of countries. Germany, for instance, as well, given we have German-built frigates and submarines, is a very essential partner as well.
3: He believes Russia will benefit most from the exercise.
4: Is Russia's ability to prosecute its war improved slightly? Yes, it is, unfortunately. The sailors on board, the lessons that are learned, those can be taken back to the conflict in some way. The ship itself may not be able to
3: enter... Walker says South Africa, with Africa's best ports, offers some of the world's most strategic shipping routes. So it's understandable the West's concern that in the future, Russian and Chinese warships will have open access to these South Africa has, in fact, been ignoring sanctions imposed on Russian vessels. Walker refers to the Lady R, which docked near Cape Town in December with a cargo of ammunition for the South African army.
4: Now, this raised a lot of red flags, as it were, because it switched off its automatic identification system. It was not very transparent about why it was there, what it was doing. It basically broke a lot of the ideas of what it means to be operating safely at sea. What we're increasingly seeing is Russian ships doing that more and more often, not necessarily sailing around the Cape, but that could be a thing in the future. We could have more and more Russian ships, for instance, sailing around the Cape of Good Hope with their signals turned off to avoid or evade some kind of scrutiny because of the sanctions regime.
3: Many analysts agree that as much as Pretoria tries to paint its naval drills with Russia in shades of normal The backlash that could follow would be anything but. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The
1: UN Refugee Agency (UNHCR) and 108 humanitarian and development parties are appealing to for 1.3 billion dollars to assist 2.2 million South Sudanese refugees and host communities in five countries. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva.
5: The aid agencies are urging the international community to scale up support for millions of South Sudanese refugees. The appeal comes at a time of global economic distress and instability, which have triggered an explosion of humanitarian crises, all competing for the same scarce resources. The UN Refugee Agency reports South Sudan is facing multiple problems, including a fragile peace agreement, sporadic violence, and climate-related disasters. It adds four years of unrelenting flooding has caused immeasurable damage to people's farmlands, livestock, and livelihoods. UNHCR spokeswoman Shabia Amantou says South Sudanese refugees are unable to go home under such conditions and will likely remain in their countries of asylum for the foreseeable future. She says they are dependent upon support from international donors and the generosity of their host communities who can ill afford to provide for their needs. The appeal comes amid a worsening economic outlook across the region as the long-term impact of the pandemic as well as the ripple effects of the war in Ukraine have pushed up fuel and food prices and increased unemployment. Host countries that have generously welcomed South Sudanese refugees are bearing the strain of the crisis amid staggering levels of underfunding. Only a third of the UN's funding requirements for South Sudanese refugees were met last year. The UNHCR says the five major countries of asylum in the region, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Ethiopia, Sudan and Uganda, are among its most underfunded operations. Mantu says a lack of money has forced aid agencies to cut food rations for millions of refugees. She says women and children suffer most from food shortages and cutbacks in other aid programs, and that the needs of the refugees in host countries must not be overlooked. The support will be crucial in meeting refugees' most immediate needs in host countries, including for shelter, education, health and food assistance. With women and children comprising 80% of all South Sudanese refugees in the region, funding for programs to prevent and respond to gender-based violence also need to be prioritised. Mantou says the appeal also will be used to advance efforts to include refugees in national social protection systems and enhance their access to basic services in the host countries. This, she adds, will help prepare refugees to eventually return to their countries of origin. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva.
1: You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Dr. Jill Biden, the First Lady of the United States, arrived a short time ago in Windhoek, in Namibia, the first stop on a five-day Africa tour. At the State House, she, she met briefly with President Hage Gingob, who told reporters he felt the visit was a big honor. Biden also visited Heroes Acre, the monument to the fallen in Namibia's independent struggle with Namibian first lady, Monique Gingob. Biden said she came to Namibia because it is a young democracy and the U.S. government wants to support democracies around the world. She also said she met Gingob on December and they quickly built a friendship. Gingob in turn said Namibia's democracy, while young, is vibrant and the country's Large youth population drives that democracy. For more on the Biden visit, we have political analyst Pearl Matibi on the line. Welcome to African News Tonight, Pearl. Uh,
6: good, good evening. So, could
1: you talk about the welcoming ceremony for the U.S. First Lady when she arrived at the airport in the capital, Windhoek?
6: Um, so, what we know is that um, this visit that Dr. Jill Biden, who is a uh, Uh, the First Lady of the United States. This visit is tied into the United States, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa strategy. And so what the Biden administration has been saying and wanting to emphasize is that this is not Dr. Biden's first visit. She has been to Africa before at least seven times, but this is her first time as First Lady. And the significance of her visit is that It comes on the heels of Secretary Yellen, who had just been to Africa, as well as the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Now, you'll recall that last August, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, also went to um, Africa and was, in fact, in Southern Africa, uh, in South Africa, where he launched this specific strategy.
1: So, um, yes, like you said, there have been several high-level visitors from the Biden administration to Africa recently. So are you saying the First Lady's visit uh, is tied to that as part of a push by the U.S. uh, to strengthen ties on the continent?
6: Absolutely. So we were talking to senior uh, Biden-Harris administration officials yesterday morning who were briefing us about this visit and a number of things that they wanted to stress. One of those things is that to say that, This was part of a promise that they had made with African leaders in December 2022 at the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. Uh, President Biden uh, had made that pledge that there were going to be high-ranking members of his administration that will be making visits to Africa. So we already saw Secretary um, Yellen, Treasury Secretary. We've seen Linda Thomas-Greenfield. We are still going to see the Secretary of Defense. Um, Now we're seeing the first lady and, of course, President Biden himself is planning to come to Africa. So these are visits that are preceding the president's own visit later this year. Uh,
1: What makes uh, Jill Biden's uh, visit a little different, I think, in a statement she put out on social media, she said her trip will focus on education, health and empowering youth and women.
6: Uh, Yes, those are things which uh, the the Biden administration did tell us about yesterday. Uh, And yes, you're quite right, she did tweet about that this morning. Uh, There are some outstanding questions, though, that even though these topics might be things that interest her, you know the people in Southern Africa. Namibia is key because uh, Namibia is right now the chair of the SADC Peace and Security uh, Committee. So the role that Namibia plays is one that the White House wanted to highlight. Uh, other issues that are important to Southern Africans. Uh, to South Africa is the lack of electricity, to Zimbabwe, again, also the lack of electricity and the upcoming 2023 elections. And that was one topic that did come up uh, in the briefing by senior administration officials yesterday. However, what we don't know is how is she going to marry these topics of health, of women, of education that she's interested in or that the United States is interested in with what local populations and societies and communities in Southern Africa and in Kenya are also interested in. How are they going to marry those? Uh, One other aspect as well is that Namibia and Kenya were selected for two reasons. Uh, Kenya, because she's going to go there and talk about uh, focus as well on food security. But in Namibia, she is going to also be focusing on democracy and participation in 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 a democratic society. Um, one thing that is key about Namibia is you know that the whole world celebrates and talks and cites about press freedom. Why? Because the the, the agreement that the world uh, uses as a basis for press freedom started in Africa. The Vinduk Declaration was signed in Vinduk in Namibia. What we don't know is will she touch on any issues regarding press freedom, given the importance of Namibia in the region? Namibia is also important because because of its role in SADC, we have this peace and security issue in northern Mozambique. That was one aspect that the Biden-Harris administration officials highlighted yesterday, but right now we just... I don't know if it's going to be then limited to women youth and education alone without addressing the lack of electricity, the lack of health care, the lack of, uh, you know, diminishing uh, democratic space and participation in the elections like the 2023 Zimbabwean elections.
1: Pearl Matibi, political analyst, thank you for your input.
6: Thank you.
7: On VOA Africa Radio, we let the sound tell you the story. News, sports, science and entertainment, available to you 24-7. Tune in on your local FM stations. We are also available on the medium waves, 909 kilohertz and 1530 kilohertz. Our short waves are 6080, 15580, 4930, 15165, 15580, and 17530 kilohertz. VOA Africa, your trusted source for news and information.
1: This Saturday, the focus of the world will be on Nigeria as Africa's biggest economy and most populous country holds elections for president, vice president, and national legislators. VOA's Peter Cloti is in Abuja following the countdown to election. Welcome to African News Tonight, Peter. Thank you very much, you. So, Peter, you've been on the ground there for a few days. Share with us some of your observations as Nigerians prepare to vote.
0: Well, yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been interesting so far here. Uh, The campaigns for the presidential election have been particularly intense. Uh, All the presidential candidates, the 18 of them, are rounding off their campaigns in the run up to the elections on Saturday. Let us not forget that there is a senatorial election and House of, uh, of Representatives elections also on Saturday. The gubernatorial elections will follow in two weeks. It has been very, very intense. I saw um, um, a few supporters of various political parties going to the principal streets of uh, the capital here, Abuja, uh, with sometimes bullhorns trying to convince people to vote for their respective candidates. So, These are some of the activities going on now as these poll observers, both local and international poll observers, go around um, really compiling evidence about activities leading up to the election.
1: Peter, can you talk to us about Nigeria facing multiple security challenges?
0: Indeed, um, the police uh, has assured people that in spite of the security challenges they are up for. Uh, the challenge and they are prepared to resolve it. The chief of army staff of the military has also made it emphatically clear that they are ready to ensure that every soldier deployed during the day will be professional and ensure the territorial integrity of Nigeria is protected and maintained. These are some of the things yeah. that are going on. Of course, there are only a few pockets of um, incidents of reports of violence in certain parts of the country. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of Nigerians are saying these are just less than 0.5% of what is going on, that people are blowing it out of proportion and that people are going uh, about their day-to-day lives. Unfortunately, there's this new currency uh, policy that is creating a lot of discomfort among the population. So, People are expressing concern about it. Uh, It has political ramifications. It remains to be seen what will happen just yesterday during these elections.
1: And, uh, Peter, how about uh, INEC, Nigeria's Electoral Commission? How is it doing?
0: Well, the Independent National Electoral Commission, or INEC, has assured Nigerians that they are ready and they will ensure that the elections are transparent and credible. They have deployed new um, machinery and new technology to ensure that each person who votes is the actual voter. However, some Nigerians are uh, expressing skepticism about the assurances being given by the electoral commission. They want to be proven wrong by the electoral commission to organize credible elections because they think That some, you know, political parties will use all kinds of means to try to win, you know, elections. But the electoral commission says that the technology it has deployed will ensure that people and their votes are protected and to ensure transparency during the election. It remains to be seen how these elections will go ahead. Uh,
1: And uh, Peter, lastly, I need to ask uh, to ask you this: uh, the currency crunch.
0: Well the currency situation is really um, causing a lot of discomfort in the population because some some people cannot have access to their cash that they have deposited in the in the uh, in the bank um, you know sometimes credit cards are a bit, a bit difficult uh, to process through because you have over two hundred and ninety million people trying to process uh, you know business transactions sometimes at the same time makes it quite a little bit challenging but you know, the CDN or the Central Bank of Nigeria says things are under control. However, the population uh, is saying that, you no, know, things are not quite uh, the same because the Nigeria is heavily dependent on cash. And that the timing of the implementation of the policy uh, needs to be revised. And that they need to respect the decision of the court that says that the old notes should be used concurrently until so the issues that they are having is resolved. Well, let's see how the CDN... Uh, wrote out uh, a review of the currency policy.
1: Okay, VOA's Peter Clote reporting from Abuja. Thank you for your input, Peter.
0: Thank you very much, ahead. Somali
1: security forces ended a more than seven-hour siege by Al-Shabaab militants at a residential building in the capital Mogadishu. The Somali Ministry of Information said ten people were killed by the militants and seven others injured in yesterday's attack on a care home for members of pro-government forces who have been injured in military operations in central Somalia. The ministry said the four militants behind the attack were killed. Meanwhile, the Somali government reported killing more than 42 Al-Shabaab fighters in the latest operation in Kadalai village near Mahadie town in the middle of Shabelle region. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mok-Milio Baro and our engineer, Bob Bass, Thanks for choosing the Voice of America.